Top of the day, everyone. It's Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Buddha Badass. And we are honestly going to be just going right into part two of Richard Ramirez. Are you enjoying this story, Buddha? Uh, I don't know if it's joy, but it is It is uh, an experience. <laughs> <laughs> well... So part two is going to have you kind of on the edge of your seat. So I'm just going to pick right up into it. All right, let's run. Let's start. Hit the ground running. So. I like your boots, by the way, your sandal boots. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you got this nice ensemble going on. This is kind of fly. Thank you. It's like simple fly. Yes, thank you. Shout out to Fashion Nova. Okay. (laughs) Please sponsor us, Fashion Nova, because I shop at you guys all the time. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'll take some stuff. I ain't mind it. I love jewelry. Heck, yeah. So, Richard Ramirez went to the home of Harold Wu, who was 66 years old, and Jean Wu, who was 63 years old, his wife. And he immediately shot Harold Wu in the head. And he bound Jean up and raped her and punched her. But he How left many her Asians is this? I mean, he likes this some Asian meat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm noticing that. And that's, that's, that's part of the menu. Yeah, it's, it has been majority Asian. I mean, he had throws a little bit of stuff, other people in there too, but it has been a lot majority of Asian. Y'all just Asian. noticed that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like, yeah. Hmm. What what's up with that? So it's like Dahmer, he has a type, like, or something. Right, subconsciously. He doesn't yeah. know it, but he's chasing it. He's chasing that. He goes to watch a kung fu movie and then go beat some Asian ass. Damn. That's terrible. On May 14, 1985, Richard Ramirez returned to Monterey Park and he entered the home of Bill Doy, who was 66 years old. And then there was his disabled wife, Lillian, who was 56 years old. He shot Bill in the face in his bedroom with a 22 semi-automatic pistol. And at that time, Bill was reaching for his own handgun, but he wasn't in time. So he beat, he then beat him Uh, Richard Ramirez beat Bill into unconsciousness after he shot him. He then entered Lillian's bedroom. He bound her with handcuffs. He raped her and then he ransacked the home and stole all the valuables. Now, Bill Doy died of his injuries while in the hospital. But he did, um, he did actually leave Lillian alive. So this is how, at this point, a lot of people are going to start being able to, you know, because they're going to be able to identify him. At this point, they don't really have a good identifier of him. They have a real, some really bad sketches going around, but it's not exactly him. Mm-hmm. On June 2nd, 1985, there was 29-year-old Edward Wilkins who got shot, but his girlfriend was raped and left alive. This was something that Richard Ramirez did again, went in someone's house. So at this point, he's starting to... Yeah, and leave them alive. Now, that same day, he tried to kidnap a little girl in Eagle Rock, but she screamed so loud and he got scared. So he got back into his stolen car and he ran a red light because he was so scared that the little girl had screamed. And a cop ended up pulling him over and he and he did match the description of the man who tried to kidnap the little girl because people had called the police after the little girl started screaming. And the cop jokingly asked him, he said, hey, you're not the guy that's going around killing people in their homes, are you? And Richard Ramirez was like, no way, man. When are you guys going to catch that motherfucker? So the police went back to his car, you know, to call in the red light. And, you know, then he figured out that the car was stolen. But while the police had went back to his car, Richard Ramirez got out of the car. He drew a pentagram on the hood of the stolen car and he ran. So the police just lost track of him. I mean, he drew on the car while the cop was sitting there doing stuff? Yeah, you know how they get back in their car and they kind of be running stuff and all that before they come back yeah, to you? Yeah, but they usually are facing you, yeah. your car. Yeah, he must have like, had his head like, down and not I mean, that's some thing. real 1980 security guard type of stuff yeah. right there. Like, what are you talking about? Right. He drew the pentagram on the cop's car? No, he drew a pentagram on the stolen car. Okay. And then he got out and, and So you get out the whole car and he's drawing and shit. You just, <laughs> you just zoned out on the computer that damn time. <laughs> when I see that, I was like, what? <laughs> like nowadays, especially if it was a brown skinned man, you pull out, if you just see the word stolen, you just start drawing guns. Ain't nobody else doing those. It'd be seven <laughs> cars deep and y'all pull guns on his ass. Like, get the hell out of the car. Tackle them and putting your head on your knee on the back of his neck. Oh, All that other stuff. Yeah. Because of the fact that he's there. But I'm like, that's interesting that you still, how, how deep in research did you need to get once you saw that the shit was stolen? Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? 
And then he had a time. I'm like, how long does it take to draw a pentagram? Man, that that's like what I'm saying. Ass... Like that's that's not a pentagram is a star with a circle around it. Yeah. So this man had to do a five point star, like up, down, <laughs> left, right, down, and then circle, and then left. So that's at least thirty to forty five seconds. Damn. He just out. The, he's and he's out the car. Right. That you ain't even peeping. That's that's insane. Like he might as well put a Joker mask on and ran the fuck off. You just <laughs> made you look silly as hell. Oh my gosh. So, on June 27th, he went into Elaine Higgins' home, and he just broke into her house and slashed her throat while she was sleeping, and then, she, and then he left. On the night of July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen car into Arcadia, and he randomly selected a house of Mary Louise Cannon. Now, she was 75 years old, and she was a widowed grandmother. So, he entered her home, he found her asleep in her bedroom, and he blundered her into unconsciousness with a lamp. And then he stabbed her to death using a 10-inch butcher knife from the kitchen. So, he he, uh, he hit her, he beat her with a lamp, and then he went in the kitchen, got a butcher knife, and then stabbed her. Mm-hmm. And then, Richard Ramirez repeatedly stabbed her body after she was already dead. And so, she was eventually found, you know, dead in her house. Mm-hmm. On July 5th, 1985, Richard Ramirez broke into the home in Sierra Madre. And this is really terrible. He beat 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. And her parents were sleeping in the next room. So he searched. He went in the kitchen. He looked for a knife. And he couldn't find one. So he came back and then tried to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. Remember in the last um, the last episode how he strangled the, that little old lady with the lamp cord? Mm-hmm. He tried to do the same thing with a phone cord. But, I mean, these are some heavy sleepers, Jesus. He yeah. He beaten, strangled in the other room, and he went in there and tried to fix a sandwich and came back. No. <laughs> and you still ain't heard shit? And then, but then he stated that he started to see electrical sparks just start flying from the cord. He almost electrocuted himself because it started sparking. So he had to stop. So he said at that point, he just, he fled the house because he got scared. But he said that Jesus Christ must have intervened and saved her because that's, that's why he he said that. Yeah, that's what he said. He was like, well, for some reason it must have not been meant for me to kill her. But, and so the 16 year old girl ended up surviving but she needed 478 stitches in her in her scalp. Mm. So and I try to find research to find out if she was like ever kind of like the same again, like mentally or but if she had like a normal life, I don't know. But it just yeah. So I hope mm. so. Now on July 7th, 1985, Richard Ramirez burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson. She was 60 years old, and this was in Monterey Park. He found her asleep on her living room couch. He beat her to death by stomping on her face repeatedly. Have, have you ever heard of somebody getting stomped to death? Yeah. I mean, you know, hoods and gang stuff. <laughs> stomped out. They call it getting stomped out. Stomped out. So, but again, remember the shoes, the Avia sneakers, but he left the imprint on her face. So he crew, he left that house and then he cruised two other neighborhoods. He returned to Monterey Park. And then he went into the home of Sophie Dickman, who was 63 years old. He assaulted her. He handcuffed her at gunpoint. He attempted to rape her. He stole her jewelry. And then he did rape her. And then he, she swore to him that, you know, he had taken everything of value and everything like that. There was nothing else. And he made her swear to Satan that that was the truth, that he had gotten all the valuable stuff out of her house. You know, going back to the ABA sneakers, people girl need to step their game up i'm saying like people that's that's in the hood because mm-hmm. i remember you was like yeah, have you ever heard of that there's some there's some high level shoes that mm-hmm. ain't jordan girl <laughs> <I'm saying, laughs> there are out there especially the running shoe brands that's like Cor- Cor- coras or something like that it's mm-hmm. with a k-o-r-a but it's like there's some high-end shoes the abs yeah the th- that that are not jordan yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and why? And if you think about it, why would he wear his good Jordans to kill people, right? Those are his good Jordans. It. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Those are good Jordans. Those aren't cheap shoes. But why, that he's would, you, wearing. But why would you wear those to kill people? Because you're, they're you're comfortable and they're really good running shoes. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Because he was running really fast in those shoes. Uh-huh. He was getting, He got away from the cops in those shoes. So that's the they're, truth. They're, they're engineered running shoes. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense because it plays a key um, factor in this whole case, those Avia shoes. He keeps leaving the prints all over the place. Mm-hmm. So on July 20th, 1985, Richard Ramirez purchased a machete before he drove a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. 
He went into the home of Layla Needing. She was 66 years old and her husband, Maxon, who was 68 years old. He busted into the sleeping couple's bedroom and then he hacked them up with a machete. Then he killed them with two shots to the head with a 22 caliber handgun. For somebody who's doing not just violent crimes, but loud, he's shooting a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I've ne- I'm yet to hear he's using a silencer. Yeah, he's no, he's not using no silencer. So he's shooting in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And and still nobody's like, ne- neighbors are calling anything, reporting like I heard gunshots <laughs> next door. Yeah, like, I, and, that is, yeah, weird. You know, and I'm like, yeah. and part of me is, is and I'm, it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. because... I met a person mm-hmm. that was a former FBI agent, mm-hmm. and I looked and I was like, "You don't look like you work for the FBI." Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm saying it is because he just wasn't handsome. You know, he just yeah. looked like really like an ordinary ass guy, balling at the top and all that shit. And I was like, "Really, you FBI?" Yeah, like I can see how you could spy on me because I wouldn't watch your ass for nothing. You yeah. just look like an <laughs> old Jewish guy in a, in a building. Um, the point that I'm saying is, is is there? You think there might be beautyotype? Oh. Where because he was such a handsome, average-looking guy, oh, no one ever was pulling his ass up because he's still in cars like crazy. Yeah, every car. Yeah, he's still in a bunch of cars. Right, and then just walking into places, committing crimes, and apparently just washing his hands and walking the fuck out. And yeah, just and try to lot of and everybody and cops are just passing him by. Yeah, like is he because he looks so like average, handsome guy? And he, yeah. yeah, I saw the pictures. Yeah, like he wanted the Beatles. It was like wow. Yeah, he was a handsome guy. The only thing wrong with it was his teeth. Right? That's so it. it's like, if, if you think because of that, cops didn't see criminal in him? Yeah. And that could be because he was like average, you know, he was, you know, just an average everyday guy. You're right. He did look like a rock star or something. Right. So, yeah. And so because he's like somebody that looks like he's handsome and should be successful. Yeah. You're like, you wouldn't be the one committing these crimes. You know, that makes sense, especially because this took place like in the 80s and it was like that because I know with the, even with Ted Bundy, it will go over him too. He was like a handsome guy. Nobody would have thought he would have did anything mm-hmm. like that. So I think that there was a stereotype of serial killers and what they're supposed to look like. Right. That's absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely, that's why so many of them got away with this. Right, like if you was an ugly, old, fat-ass stereotype <laughs> killer with like pot marks on your face, they'd have got your ass that weekend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like looking like a treasure troll, they'd have got your ass. But if you're a handsome guy going around killing people, they're like, ah, he couldn't be doing that. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's just, it, for me, I'm just like, it's so odd that these are such blatant, mm-hmm. violent, loud crimes. Yeah. And I mean, like, it just seemed like it was so hard for y'all to kind of even get a cl- close to him. Yeah. Kind of even catch up to this man. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, after he shot them, he further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of the valuables, and he quickly fenced the stolen items from the residence. So, after he did that, he then drove to Sun Valley, California. Now, at a, this one is really hard. This one's really bad. So, trigger warning, it is about molestation of a child. So, if you guys don't want to hear this part, like, probably fast forward, maybe 40 seconds. I don't want to hear this part. I'm sorry, you're stuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, at approximately 4.15 a.m., he broke into the home. At, and I, here's another name I'm, I'm about to really just butcher, so I apologize. So, it's the Conanathath family. So, he shot sleeping Shannon Ron Conanath, and that was the man in the head, with a 25 caliber handgun. He killed him instantly. That was the dad. And then he repeatedly raped and beat some kid Conanath. That was the wife. And he also made her give him oral sex as well. He then bound up their eight-year-old son before dragging the wife around the house to reveal the the location of any items, any valuable items. And she kept saying, she swears to God, you know, he has everything, please leave. And then during his sexual assault, he kept saying, you need to say you swear to Satan. Don't say you swear to God. And she, she swore to Satan that she was not hiding any money from him. He then raped the eight-year-old boy with a bottle of baby oil. Oh, wow. Yeah. On, on, uh, but she lived through it. And so later on, she was going to testify. And her son is like, you know, forever, you know, scarred behind that. Mm-hmm. On August 6, 1985, Richard Ramirez drove to Northridge. And he broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He went into their bedroom. He scared Virginia and he shot her in the face with a 25 semi-automatic. Now she was 27 years old. 
He then shot Chris in the neck and he attempted to run, but Chris actually fought back and he, you know, he kept, well, they basically started fighting and Richard shot two more shots into Chris during the struggle, but Richard managed to escape and the couple both survived these injuries. On August 8th, 19th, wow. yeah, like he him. was like Superman, like seriously, like he just really fought him, you know, he wasn't playing that, even though he was shot, he was fighting him with gunshots, you know, Man. yeah, on August 8th, 1985, Richard Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California, and he went into the home of Sakina Abelweth, who was 27 years old, and her husband, Elias Abelweth, who was 31 years old. Now, this was sometime after 2.30 in the morning. He entered the house and he went into the master bedroom. He instantly killed the husband with a shot to the head from his 25 caliber handgun. He then handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family jewelry. Mm-hmm. He then brutally raped her. And he also demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. The couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom and Richard Ramirez tied the the child up and continued to rape Sakina in front of the little boy. After Richard Ramirez left the home, Sakina untied the little boy and the little three-year-old had to go to the neighbor's house for help. Mm. Now, after this, and now this started getting all into the media about the man. At this point, this yeah, this, well, I mean, it had been in the media, like, because a lot of people were scared. There was a lot of press conferences, and, you know, the detectives was telling people, you know, keep your windows closed, keep your doors closed, get guns, do whatever you have to do. But this was what gave him the Night Stalker name, because they still didn't know who they were, but they then named him the Night Stalker. So he's famous for being the Night Stalker. That's his nickname in the media. So Richard Ramirez had been following the media coverage of his crime. So he then left Los Angeles and went to San so Francisco. So he single-handedly got everybody in California to start locking their doors at night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> everybody was just so scared like of him. Like Literally, people started like going to bed with weapons and stuff under their bed. Like He had everyone just scared. I, mean, and so, I already do that. That's, yeah. what you're That's how you're supposed to sleep with a weapon. Yeah. It's apocalyptic times. And so he left Los Angeles and went to San Francisco because it was just getting too hot at this point. So on August 18th, 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot Peter, who was in his sleep. He was 66 years old. Did you say Peter and Barbara Pan? Yeah. Oh, so he broke into Peter Pan's house. <laughs> yeah. He killed Peter Pan. He killed Peter Pan. Wow. He's stealing people's dreams now. Oh, my gosh. That's He's so terrible. He's killing dreams is what you just said. Can you believe that? That asshole. Out of everything he could have did, why would he do that to Peter Pan? To Pe- if I found out your name, I'd be like, all right, man, I gotta go. I can't kill Peter Pan. Right. Like, come on. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's like killing a guy named Tony Tiger. Like, all oh, right, right, Tony. Oh, my God. I can't God. kill you, man. Don't mess with my cereal now. Right. You done brought us so much joy into my life. So after he killed Peter, he beat and sexually assaulted Barbara. And Barbara, by the way, is 62 years old. And then he shot her in the head and left her for dead. Now, at this crime scene, he used her lipstick to scroll a pentagram and the phrase Jack the Knife on the bedroom wall. Richard, again, left a shoe print at the scene and the, dis- the detectives discovered that it matched the specific pair of Avia shoes. And at that time, these shoes was not common at the time. So, so the, they were a high-end. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Mm-hmm. So he got, like, some high-end shoes to do you all know, Yeah, hood people. You need to step your game yeah. up. Jordan ain't the highest brand shoe that's out there. So, well, this was the 80s. I don't... Was Jordan's... Jordan, I 80s? Jordan is the 80s. Well, no, but I'm talking about the shoes. Because remember, he was basketball, but he didn't start making the shoes until later. Jordan is the 80s. Well, <laughs> that's... Yes, he was a basketball player in the 80s, but I don't think he started Girl, there, doing there's shoes. there's never been a time that Michael Jordan didn't have shoes. Okay, well... <laughs> Michael Jordan had shoes since Michael Jordan was been Michael Jordan. Okay. Right. Well, I guess, like, you're like the... What do you call it? The shoe basketball gurus. So I'm, well, I'm, well, my favorite team is the Bulls, so I know oh, when Michael yeah. Jordan was playing. Oh, That's so you're I, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> So, there was a lead detective on the case named Frank Salerno. Now, Frank Salerno actually contacted the manufacturer of Avia Shoes, and they were able to retrieve, like, the kind of soles that they were. And so, this is when the investigation really started. So, he discovered the make and the distribution across the United States, and only six of them existed in the men's size, which was 11 and a half. 
So five of them have been shipped in locations to Arizona and only one shipped um, in a shoe store to Los Angeles. So it was evident that this was the pair that Richard Ramirez, you know, had purchased as well. So it was also discovered that the ballistics and the shoe print evidence from the Los Angeles crime scenes matched the Peter Pan crime scenes as well. So now they've matched the shoe print to both the Los Angeles and the San Francisco crime scene. Mm. So this is when, you know, this is when things start really, really getting heated up now. Okay. Now, Richard Ramirez had been studying this whole thing. And when he saw that, you know, they were investigating these avia sneakers, he just dropped them over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge. So he just went ahead and was like, whoop, <laughs> drop my shoes over. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what kind of shoes he's going to have now. Timberlands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he remained in the area in San Francisco for a few more days after he threw the shoes over the Golden Gate Bridge. And then he went back to Los Angeles. On August 24th, 1985, Richard Ramirez went to south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota. And he went to Mission Viejo. So that night he went to James Romero Jr.'s home and they had just returned from a family, you know, vacation. And they also had their 13-year-old son, James Romero III, that happened to be awake as well. So while his family was asleep, James went outside of his house to receive a pillow that was inside his truck, which was locked. And when he was outside, he started hearing like a rustling noise. So he assumed that it was an animal. So when James went to investigate the noise, he didn't really notice anything out of the ordinary. So he then went to his garage and he began working on his mini bike. But then he heard Richard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. So he thought it was a prowler and he started looking at Richard Ramirez through his bedroom window. And then he went to wake up his parents at that point. And and then Richard Ramirez fled the scene. So he got really scared and fled. Nice. Yeah. And But James raced outside and he noted the color, the make, and the style of the car as well as a partial license plate number. So he also contacted the police with this information, but he just thought he had no idea that this was Richard Ramirez. He just thought that maybe he had chased away a thief. So after this encounter, Richard Ramirez then broke into the house of Bill Carnes, who was 30 years old, and his fiancee, Inez Erickson, who was 29 years old, through a back door. He entered the sleeping couple's bedroom. He awakened him when he cocked his 25 caliber handgun. He shot him in the head three times before turning his attention to the wife as well. So Richard Ramirez told her, hey, do you know who I am? I'm the Night Stalker. And he forced her to swear that she loved Satan. And then he beat her. He bound her. He raped her. And then he started stealing a whole bunch of stuff before he left the house. He also dragged her into another room and he raped her again. And then he demanded cash and more jewelry. He made her swear on Satan that she would never, you know, tell anybody about what happened. And then he left. Well, you know, if you swear on Satan and you break that, <laughs> he's not going to punish you. He's not going to punish you. He's probably going to reward you. Be like, good, you lied. <laughs> oh, girl, of course you swear on my name and don't keep it. That's what everybody should do. Right. Anybody say, swear to God, be like, no, nah, I'm going to swear. I swear on Satan now. I yeah. swear on Satan. <laughs> I swear I'll stay right. I put my whole swear all on Satan's life. Anything that happened, if it goes wrong, call Satan. Okay. I'm going to start doing that if I want to lie. Right? Swear on Satan, Satan, man. (laughs) So, right when he was leaving the house, he said, tell everybody the Night Stalker was here. So, she was able to untie herself. He started feeling himself. Yeah. They couldn't get a trail on you. And the only thing they had a trail on you was the shoes, and you threw them out. So you was like, I'm going to start giving y'all a trail. It's the sticky, wet bandits. Really, from home, from home Alone? The wet bandits. Uh, that was crazy. <laughs> That's how they found your ass out. So she ends up going to a neighbor's house for help, and the surgeons removed two of the three bullets from his head. He, the husband survived the injuries, but he's going to have a bullet in his head for the rest of his life. But the wife, Erickson, she gave a detailed description of the assailant to the I mean, that's amazing to get shot in the head three times and still live. I know. That's like, that's a testimony right there. Yeah, But it's like, and imagine having a bullet in your head, like, for the rest of your life. I couldn't even imagine that. I mean, neither can he. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of your brain, so you gotta imagine it's there now. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, but uh, that's intense. But I've seen I've seen it happen multiple, multiple times on different 
things where it's just like, hey, it's gonna have to stay in there because it's more dangerous for it to come out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I don't know if you know pencil. Like, if you ever get stabbed by a pencil, mm-hmm. and I think that's what this is right here in this part of my hand. Oh. It never comes out. Oh, if the wow. lead breaks off into your skin, mm-hmm. you, you you got lead in your skin for the rest of your life. Oh no! In your meat and your flesh. That is not good. Lead poisoning really is a thing. Yeah, but those especially with those pencils, those pencil tips. Yeah. So with kids and being careful with just stabbing yourself, playing around because you'll have pencil in you for the rest. Of, and that's the same thing with cactus too. Those mm-hmm. needles never actually come out. Oh yeah, those they don't little... they don't disintegrate neither. Oh no, so you'll just have cactus needles. You just have the rest cactus of... in your wherever you had them put in for the rest of your life, and you'll just feel a pain every once in a while because that needle's just stabbing into something. Oh no, so do you feel a pain in your hand from the lead sometimes? This no, not anymore. But I do in the fingertip because of grabbing a cactus to trying to save one of my kids. Oh, I still can feel it. It was years ago, but yeah, that stuff that's true. Oh gosh. Well, the wife, she gave a detailed description of Richard Ramirez to the investigators. And again, the police obtained a cast of Richard Ramirez's footprint from the Ramiro house. So this was before he had threw the shoes over. They had a cast of his footprint and everything. Mm -hmm. Now, the stolen Toyota, the orange Toyota, was found abandoned on August 28th in Koreatown in Los Angeles. And the police obtained a single fingerprint from the rearview mirror, despite Richard Ramirez's careful efforts to wipe the car down clean. He missed one. So a long time ago when he was, you know, younger, he had went to jail one time for car theft. And so this print was positively identified as belonging to him. And the, and Richard Ramirez was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas. So his charge that he had gotten in trouble with was in Texas. Because remember, he's from Texas. And so, yeah. yeah, so he had a long rap sheet that included many arrested arrests, but just for like traffic, illegal drug violations and stuff like that back in Texas. So they was finally able to match that up. On August 29th, 1985, law enforcement officials decided to release a mugshot of uh, Ramirez from a 1984 arrest for auto theft in the media. And finally, the Night Stalker had a face, you know, so everybody knew there was a big press conference and it was announced, we know who you are now, as soon everyone else will. There will be no place that you can hide. Now, Richard Ramirez was watching all this and he was with his friend, Donna. You remember Donna? She was one of his friends that he had moved out to California with. Remember, no, he had three I remember friends. your friend Donna. Yeah, no, this is my this is this is a Richard Ramirez. He also had a friend named Donna as well. Boy, and so, if your life ain't the blueprint of a serial killer, <laughs> now it was funny because as they were sitting down watching TV together, he was like, "Hey, Donna." Do you think that I'm the Night Stalker? And she was like, hell no, Rick. You don't have the guts to kill anybody. And then they they started laughing about it together. And she just thought it was a big joke, you know? Yeah, that was a good response. Because if you would have said yes, he'd have turned and stabbed you 50 times. Right. <laughs> now, and then he started really pushing. He said, aren't you scared to be alone with me in this house? And he was like laughing. And then he asked her hypothetically, so what would you do if you broke into someone's house and they were home? Would you kill them? And then they was just laughing about it, but then she started feeling kind of weird. Like, why is he asking me these weird questions, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, this is where everything really starts to close in on him. Donna's daughter went to the police with some jewelry because she had watched all this, too. And so she went to the police with some jewelry, and she said that she had gotten it from a, a man named Rick, who sometimes, you know, would stay with her mom. And so Donna ended up calling the police as well and saying Richard Ramirez is her friend and he started, she started feeling weird about him. So this is how they started really getting a lot of tips. And now they're looking for Richard Ramirez. They know exactly who he is. They know exactly, you know, who they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Now on August 30th, 1985, Richard Ramirez took a bus to Tucson, Arizona because he went to go visit his brother but he was unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper in Los Angeles and basically all over California. So he was in Arizona and he failed to meet up with his brother. His brother wasn't home or whatever happened. So not knowing that he was literally on the front page of every newspaper, he returned back to Los Angeles early in the morning of August 31st. Now, the police had staked out the bus station and they were looking for him, but somehow he was able to walk right past the police officers when he got off the bus. Nice. Yeah. And so he still had no idea that, you know, everybody was looking for him. So he went to a convenience store in East Los Angeles. So he noticed a group of elderly women that was, you know, 
kind of staring at him and really scared. So he turned and he saw his face on the front page of the newspaper and they pointed to him and they said El Matador, which means there's the killer right there. El Matador? El Matador. Oh, like El Matador is M-A-T-A-D-O-R. Yeah, Matador does not mean... Did I say it wrong? I don't know. Is it Mortador? It has to be Mort. Mort, because, you know... Oh, well, maybe it's not said how... It's like, yeah. They use that, like, for the word mortality. Oh, yeah. So, But if you say Matador, that's the guy that's fighting the bull. Oh, no. No. Yeah, so it's probably El Mortador. Okay. So, which means the killer. And they started pointing to him. And so when he saw his face on the picture of the newspaper and they pointed at him, he started running. Now, this is the part that gets really funny. So he ran four miles. He ran across the Santa Ana freeway. He attempted to carjack an unlocked Ford Mustang, but he was pulled out by an angry resident, Faustino Pinion. He then ran across the street. <laughs> like, you ain't stealing my car. Yeah. So he got so scared, he then ran across the street and he attempted to steal some car keys from a lady named Angelina Delator. But her woman, her husband, Manuel Delator, witnessed the attempt and he grabbed like a, a steel, uh, like a fence post and he struck him over the head with it. And so then this other man named Jose... a bad day. Yeah. And so this other man named Jose Virgin ended up wrestling him. And before he knew it, a group of over 10 residents formed and started chasing Richard Ramirez down the street in Boyle nice. Heights. And a group of citizens started beating him, just relentlessly beating him, kicking him. At around 8 a.m., the police was called. And if the police wouldn't have got there, the whole all, the whole block was going to just kill him because they all just started just beating him well, so once bad. Once again, the civilians yeah. coming in before the cops. Once yeah. again. Now, around 8 a.m., the police came. They quickly arrived. They surrounded the whole block of Hubbard. And they found that he was severely beaten. And so they ended up arresting him. But Richard Ramirez looked up at him because they, they was he was getting beat so bad. And you know what he said to the police when they was arresting him? What? He said, thank God you guys came. A Satanist. <laughs> Thanking God. Thank God. And it was funny. Like, there's po- there's pictures of him. I'm going to see if I can find But he's all beaten up in the back of the police cruiser. He looks really bad. Mm-hmm. They fucked him up so bad. So... The crowd basically grew to like several hundred people and they were becoming super unruly. They were screaming at him. They were spitting at him. And all this was in the media. And Richard Ramirez's dad found out what happened. And he was like, I still don't think my son did that. But I mean, I guess if there is proof that he did it, there's nothing else that could be said, you know, but he just couldn't believe what had happened. So Richard Ramirez is now in custody, and but his story is not over yet because his story gets really wild. I mean, there was jury selection that began for his trial on July 22nd, 1988, and a whole bunch of groupies came to his court appearance. And it got so bad that some of them was actually asked to leave because he would wink at them. They would blow him kisses. They all wanted to marry him. Like the courtroom just became a complete circus because it was he had so many women that wanted him at that point. Richard Ramirez raised a hand in his court trial and he had a pentagram drawn on his head and he yelled, Hail Satan, out in court. And on August 3rd, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Richard Ramirez saying that he's going to shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which he was going to have smuggled into the courtroom through some of his groupies. Okay. So because of all this, a metal detector was installed outside and there was intensive searches conducted on people that was entering the courtroom. And he had so many groupies that they wanted to marry him. And honestly, there was one that actually did marry him. Her name was Doreen Leoy. So D- Doreen Leor actually wrote him 75 letters while he was on a trial waiting for his incarceration. And they ended up, you know, getting married and stuff while he was in jail. And she married him for the very reason of what just happened. You said her name. No, yeah, <laughs> but remember, so stuff is going to come back, so keep this in mind, because it's actually funny about how their relationship ends. So to get back for the trial, uh, the trial was, so on August 14th, the trial was actually interrupted because one of the juries, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive to the courtroom, right? So later that day, she was actually found shot to death in her apartment. 
the jury, like all the jury was terrified. So they had to kind of shut down court for the day. And everybody was wondering if somehow Richard Ramirez had done this. But it turned out that her boyfriend actually killed her and then killed himself. So it had nothing to do with Richard Ramirez, oh, but it was wow. just weird okay, timing. Right. It was crazy timing. Yeah, that was some really crazy timing. Now, the alternate juror who replaced her was too frightened to even go back to her home because she still felt like it had something to do with him, but it didn't at all. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the jurors actually had to be excused because she was flirting with him so bad. And she they were just like, you know, it's, she would wave to him and stuff. Like, she fell in love, and they was like, you know, you have to be excused. Good God. Yeah, like, like women were in be nice to be an average-looking white man. No, he was Latina. Latino. He was Latino this whole time? Yeah, Richard Ramirez. That's why he was in the Latino area? I mean, I, trust me, I know some brown skin guys named Carlos. So that's why I'm like, <laughs> I don't know anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks Caucasian, so wow, that's yeah. why it really was. Yeah. Wow. Now, I will say that this does make the Latino female community look bad that your ass is sitting there flirting trying to get with that. <laughs> uh, you can't find no other man out there. <laughs> <laughs> Except this killer rapers, psychopath. Now, on September 20th, 1989, Richard Ramirez was convicted of all 43 charges. He was convicted of 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. These was just the ones they got him on. It was way more. Now, during the penalty phase of the trial, November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to death, and he was sentenced to die in California's uh, gas chamber. And when he, so a lot of reporters came out, they asked him how he felt about his death sentences. And and he was like, big deal. Death always went with the territory. So I'll see you in Disneyland. Now, this is going to be some interesting time, his time on death row. Okay. Now on death row, he actually got his teeth fixed. There was like a, a renounced dentist that came out and they fixed his whole teeth. So there's a lot of pictures of him while he's sitting on death row. His teeth is a hundred percent different, like all whites. They completely fixed his teeth. What did he just do it for a science project? I don't know why they picked up. I don't know. I don't know what made them like fix his teeth, but it was like a dentist that like literally just fixed his whole teeth up. So it's like completely different. Not like he had the money to pay you. So you yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you're on uh, death row, that was like a promotionary just... thing, huh? He was yeah. like, I, look at what I did. Yeah. And about to die, yeah. but did you see his teeth? Yeah, maybe. It's me, baby. Yeah, that, you know what? Maybe he did do that so that he could get more clients. Like, come to Delta Dental. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we fixed his teeth. Look at Mr. Ramirez. <laughs> Now, as I mentioned that he did get married to Doreen Leoy. Now, the funny thing is, remember, I think I remember telling you, remember his very first murder, the, you know, the little girl, I think it was a six-year-old girl, and I told you to keep that in mind of what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, the reason, so, um, Doreen Loreen Leoy had been, you know, on his side the whole time, you know? Like I said, they got married October 3rd, 1996, on while he was sitting on Sam, Prince, Sam Quentin's um, death row, right? And for many years before his death, Leoy said that she was going to commit suicide. As soon as they execute him, she was going to die too. Now, however... That other, the first murder wasn't tied to him to 2009 when DNA came up. And I guess the DNA confirmed that he had raped and murdered Lee Leong. And so because of that, she was like, she broke up, she broke off with him. She like divorced him. And she was like, so you really did rape and murder that six-year-old girl. And I was like, well, that was weird because I was like, so that was too much. But he had been, you know what I mean? You knew he killed all these other people. And some of these people were kids too. Mm. So why, I never understood why was that one the breaking point? You know what I mean? That part I didn't get. Right. I think that, uh, because he was in denial and denying it to her. Yeah. That any of the child stuff that's just being put on him. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you played the interview for me. And that is just something I could just kind of tell in his tone of him still being kind of in denial of all the stuff that's been against him and calling the allegations. Yeah. Um, and some women are weak-minded enough to sit here and just go by your word. Where you're oh, like, the yeah. entire world is lying. Even the TV is lying. And all those women, they're lying. I don't care. That fingerprint, that's a lie too. Yeah. Listen to me. Look me in the eye. And mm-hmm. some women are weak enough minded mm-hmm. where they're just going to just believe that. So when you have something that's irrefutable like DNA and all that, mm-hmm. he can't just have you look in his eye and tell him that, you know, that was the government doing this. Oh, that makes sense. So that was what, because I was like, she divorced his ass after that. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that makes sense. So, Actually, uh, so after though, after they got a divorce though, she, he ended up getting engaged to a twenty-three-year-old writer. So that was engaged. That um, so they was engaged, but 
I have a funny thing to talk about. So remember I told you about this podcast I listened to called Death Row Diaries. And by the way, I'm telling everybody, listen to Death Row Diaries. That is such a good podcast. Okay. One of the co-hosts was actually on Death Row with Richard Ramirez. And I don't know if anybody knows, but child molesters and child killers do not do good in prison at all. Like, they're like the bottom of the totem pole. So Richard Ramirez, he goes out to the yard like normal, and he gets stabbed, right? Somebody takes an attempt on his life. He goes back in, and he was like, oh, that must have been mistaken identity. Because he really didn't get, like, why he was getting stabbed. He was like, oh, so he goes outside again and gets stabbed again. And finally he gets it, and then he don't go back outside no more. So he, he don't go out to yard time at all no more. Well, the whole time he's in prison and I was like dude even if it was a mistaken identity if I get stabbed I'm not going outside I don't care <laughs> so he went he got like stabbed and went back outside I feel like it's wild though. like when did he get caught in the 80s he got caught in the 80s yeah and he was still in jail in 2009 this is what well, I'm saying the death penalty taking way too long yeah he was actually on death row for 23 years that's way yeah. too long he had time to get his teeth fixed and everything now, honestly, though, Richard Ramirez ended up dying from complications due to B-cell lymphoma. So he had a, a, a rare form of cancer. And also he had hepatitis C because remember he abused a lot of drugs. So he had a horrible death. He died at Marin General Hospital in Green Bay, California on June, June 7th, 2013. It sounds like he'd have kept, he's probably damn near still be alive to this day if they didn't just naturally... If, uh, source didn't just take his butt out of itself. Yeah, and well, they, you're, you're catering a little too much to prisoners now. Like, come on now. Well, man. yeah. I mean, honestly, he and they said he turned green. Like his skin was like green when he died. He was like suffering. I was like, oh, like there's karma right there because mm-hmm. he had a, a rare form of cancer. Like, how do you get a rare form of cancer? I from, was like, from spite of the universe. That's mm-hmm. how you get it. Especially once you say that you accept in pain and you accept death, then pain and death will come to you. Yeah. That's, oh my gosh, that is crazy. But you are right, because he was on death row for 23 years, and they didn't take him out. It was, you know what I mean? Right, and you're getting basically the benefit of the world. You're having sex with women. You're getting even more famous. You're getting married. You're obviously people putting money on your books. You're getting your teeth fixed. It's like, bro, what are you about to do? You about to release an album next month? Like, so... Something had to, like, the universe itself had to give. Had to like, okay, in. let's put this guy down, because you guys... Don't understand how to penalize people. <laughs> if you ask me, the stupidest part of this crime was how cocky he got at the end. I mean, he was actually literally playing in everybody's face. And he was sitting here talking to Donna and basically stitching on his own self. Like, that's crazy. And that's really what got him really caught up. But as I promised you guys, as we promised you guys, we're going to hear from Richard Ramirez himself. So here's a voice clip of him. What do you want the world to know about you? The world has been fed many lies about me. Uh, I have read very few truths. Who are you? Just a guy. Just a guy. Did you kill 13 people? It would be improper for me to comment on my LA convictions and on my pending case here in San Francisco. Why? Because of my appeals. Are you appealing these because you say you're innocent? You didn't kill 13 people? That is correct. You didn't kill 13 people? Again, it would be improper for me to comment in any regard to that question. You have now entered a very rare group of people in this country. You're in the the ranks of Charlie Manson, Ted Bundy. You claim you didn't commit these murders, but you're right in there now as far as everybody else is concerned. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times. Even psychopaths have emotions if you dig deep enough, but then again, maybe they don't. Do you have emotions, Richard? No comments. Tell me what kind of emotions you got going through you right now. I'll tell you what, I gave up on love and happiness a long time ago. Why? I, I don't care to explain that. Let, let, the, let the quote stand for itself. People 
People in this day and age are brainwashed and programmed like a computer at being nothing more than puppets. This nation, this country is founded in violence. <sighs> violent delights tend to have violent ends. It's Madness is something rare in individuals, but in groups, people, and ages, it is a rule. Killing is killing, whether done for duty, profit, or fun. Men murdered themselves into this democracy. You're good at reading your script, Richard. But you're not much in answering my direct questions. A lot was made that you're a devil worshiper. You worship the devil? Have you ever studied Satanism? <sighs> there are different sects of Satanism. Have you still just yes or no? Have you studied yes, Satanism? Yes, I have. Are you are you a worshiper of the devil? No comment. Come on, Richard. We're I can tell you a little bit about Satanism. Well, I'm I'm interested in hearing what you got to say. It is undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. It is power, power without charity. A Satanist admits to being evil. Do you admit to being evil, Richard? We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? Are we not? I'm asking you the questions, not the question. <laughs> yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. Evil has always existed. The perfect world most people seek shall never come to pass, and it's going to get worse. <sighs> the great epochs of our life is when we gain the courage to rebaptize our e evil qualities as being our best qualities. So, what did you think about this case about Mr. Ramirez over here? Um. After you played the clip for me, I will say his cause does seem a little aimless. I do see that he's kind of on some Grand Theft Auto stuff, man. He's encouraged by violence mm -hmm. and aimless and meaningless violence. Yeah. And wants to write that off on somebody else and society mm -hmm. and, you know, America. And yes, American violent. I mean, I don't know. I don't, but what country where, where they start the foundation of their country and any any civilization yeah. did not have. I mean, kings got kings because they whooped a whole lot of ass. They right. didn't become kings because they actually was destined from God. Right. Because after they whooped your butt, then they told you that God told them that they could do that. Yeah. So that's something that is the perpetuation that for me, I'm not a, a, a promotionary part for. I do see the necessity of it mm -hmm. because sometimes you know being peaceful is not going to have the resolution that you want. Yeah. Um, but. For for him being so aimless, it's it just kind of seemed like you had a fetish and you had um, suffering that you wanted to see from others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know uh, why? No, I don't know because yeah. in the interview it doesn't sound like you even really know. Yeah, you know, but it kind of seemed like you got drunk on the on the fact that you could get away with it. See how far, and it gave you that edge on life. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a skydiver. You know, mm -hmm. like who gets who's who's trying to. Uh, fly lower and lower before you actually pull the parachute to see when he's actually going to really get hurt. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, what do you think that the influence of his cousin did to him? Do you, would you, if you had to, would you like kind of blame a lot of this on his cousin or do you think that Richard kind of just had his own mind and even if his cousin wouldn't have been in his life, he would have turned out this way? I think it would have been something similar. I think it would still have had, um, him with this mindset because he seems so non-remorseful mm -hmm. even when he's in the courts and he seems almost you know like he's he's fawning for this type of interaction to be feared mm -hmm. to you know to, to be menacing to mm -hmm. be dangerous in a sense to kind of like no i can kill people yeah uh, but i think it it's kind of funny but i think it became really okay and he felt like he was somebody because of the cousin because you know his cousin had had a standing point where it was admirable. Like if, if you think about it, almost everybody can remember who's the coolest kid in your high school. Was. Yeah, you know what I mean. So when you when you have somebody who has the influence of you think that they're they're cool and you think they're they're so awesome and that there's somebody who you, you admire mm -hmm. when they look at you with accolades of what you're doing as something great, you have then no more remorse of what you're doing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because there's some tribes to this day that are in you know in like New Guinea and in the Amazon. Well, they'll attack you and they'll eat your heart and, you know, and feed it to their children. If the father look at them with pride yeah. that you're eating heart, then you like, yeah, eating hearts is a good thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? You yeah. never then in your mind associate 
eating people, eating a, a beating living human person's heart as a bad thing. Yeah. You never again will associate it with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what happened with him. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I, I try to look up. I wanted to find out what happened to Big Mike after all this. I was like, I wonder what, you know what I mean, what his viewpoint was. Did he go see him? I couldn't find anything else. I'm like, after he got out of the mental asylum and he hung out with Richard a little more, I couldn't find nothing else. And I was like, damn, I wanted to find out what happened to Mike. He was like, homeless where is he at now? and got addicted to some type of drug and died by a railroad track. Yeah. I mean, like, like, that, that's what the fuck happened, talking crazy to himself. That's why nobody even knows, because even, even Mike didn't know the contact his ass because he was just stoned out and off on his own trip shit. Yeah. You know, that post-traumatic stress syndrome is something else. Yeah. And especially from violent, violent wars, like where he came from, mm-hmm. some people become disconnected from reality and never come back. Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably what happened. You probably summed that up. You always solve cases and always, I don't know how you do that. (laughs) (laughs) I like to say I actively listen. Yeah. You know, I I can't say that I'm involved. I can't say because I'm, you know, an expert of other stuff. But I will say that I do actively listen as it's going along. Yeah. Well, do you know what we're covering next week? You ask me that every week. Yes. Well, next week's actually going to be a surprise because it's another listener request. So, so how would I know if it's a surprise? <laughs> you wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to do the same thing again. I'm going to do the shout out to our listener because they wanted to hear this case. So we're going to put it on for them. All right. All right. Well, we love them listeners, man. Get that in here. Yeah. So you guys, please make sure that you rate and review the show because that really helps us out on Spotify, Apple, wherever you want to rate. Right. If you can give us a five star, if you love us so much, you know, give us six stars. Like, yeah. Yeah. and go back in there and give us another five stars. Yes, please do just that. Just invent another email account and just keep just giving us stars. Oh, that's a good idea. Thank you, Buddha. Yes, do what he said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I won't be mad at you. Yeah. If we can give away a cash prize for doing that, I will. Yeah, heck yeah. Five whole dollars. <laughs> five dollars and five stars. Yep, got it. Yeah, right. There it is. <laughs> well, and make sure if you want to, you know, hear any kind of cases. You know, I have a list of cases that I'm going to do, but we put our listeners first. So if you guys have anything you want to hear, make sure you email us at hotgarbagenews at gmail.com. Follow our Facebook, Hot Garbage Show. Follow our Instagram, Hot Garbage Show. Also, follow my TikTok at Author Nisha. Do you have anything else you want to put in? I have none of those hashtags or great tags or follows all those yet but I, they're telling me to step that up so yes. when I say they I mean Nisha there's nobody else <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think you know I think this is starting to grow enough yeah. where I'll sit here and give it in to, I had up a thing where I was like I don't I don't put myself in the media um, but I, I, I'll maybe concede for this I might come out with a mask on or something like that's what yeah. Buddha badass is going to come out with like a Buddha mask yeah <laughs> That a sparkling mask made of diamonds. I don't yeah, know. Just, something, just something to uh, let myself out to society. Cause I want you to, I want you to like me first. Don't don't worry about how sexy booty is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, you guys, and we love our listeners. Take care and watch your back out there.